Well, uh, I'd like for us to turn tonight to John chapter 11. This is kind of a, it's kind of a jarring transition, but it's the message I have. So, (laughs) but John chapter 11, and we'll read the first four verses here. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, that is the Lord, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Well, I'd like to speak to you tonight about something that every single person in this room has either experienced or will experience at some point in their life. It's a universal reality of living as a human being in a fallen world, and it's something that Americans alone spend billions of dollars on every year. And what I'm referring to is the subject of sickness. And judging by the size of our group here tonight, we've probably got got some sickness still floating around. Uh, The other day, and Jim will appreciate this, the other day I was in class teaching, and over the intercom, you get the message, we need a custodian in C7. <laughs> and you know what that means when they call a custodian in the middle of a class. You know what happened right down the hallway. Um, our text says that a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. And when Lazarus' sisters send word to Jesus, they say, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Sickness. And Jesus replied back, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God. And sickness, of course, comes in many varieties and degrees, from an illness that lasts a day to a disease that lasts a lifetime, from occasional to chronic, genetic to environmental, from the flu to fibrosis, from the common cold to cancer. All of us know what it's like to be sick. Most of us know what it's like to care for someone who is sick, and many parents know what it's like to both be sick and care for sick children at the same time, which is a special kind of wonderful. And like a middle school classroom during the cold and flu season, the Bible itself is full of sick people. Think of it. Abraham, Genesis 48, David in 1 Samuel 19, Elisha, 2 Kings 13, Hezekiah in 2 Kings 20 specifically talks about their sicknesses. Job, Daniel 8:27, Daniel says this, Then I, Daniel, was exhausted and sick for days. <laughs> Just says that. Moving into the New Testament, you have Peter's mother-in-law, Matthew chapter 8, sick with a fever. The Lord heals her so she can serve. We have Lazarus here in John 11. The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 4.13 that it was because of a bodily illness that he preached the gospel to the Galatians the first time. Paul also tells us in Philippians 2 that his fellow worker, Epaphroditus, was sick to the point of death. 
And then he tells us that he had to leave Trophimus sick at Miletus in 2 Timothy 4.20. Sickness. And, of course, there's other individuals that we can mention. And then we have this general statement in James 5.14. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Translation, people in the church are going to get sick, <laughs> right? You can count on it. It's just part of the fabric of our day-to-day lives as human beings living in a fallen world. And so over the weekend, as my wife and I opened yet another box of Kleenex and cleaned up yet another pile of vomit, I got to thinking, what are some things that we're meant to learn from this reality of sickness? We're surrounded by it, right? especially this time of year. Surely the Lord intends for us to get something from this truth, from this reality. It's just such an integral part of our day-to-day lives, like it or not. It's an object lesson, constantly staring us right in the face. What are we supposed to learn? Specifically, what are some truths that we need to remember as we or a loved one suffers through an illness? What are some lessons that we ought to take away from our times of sickness? And in response to that, I just want to give six brief reflections tonight on this subject of sickness. And the first one is this. In the fallen world in which we live, physical sickness is a picture and illustration of the spiritual sickness of sin. It's a picture and an illustration of the spiritual sickness of sin. It's one of the reasons why you see healing emphasized so much in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's undoing, you see, the curse. It's just tied right in with this thing of sin. Just as sickness is universal in the human race, so is sin. Sickness is a persistent reminder, persistent reminder, that we live in a fallen, messed up, and twisted world. And it points us to the deeper, infinitely more serious sickness of sin that we all suffer from. See, it's a pointer. That physical sickness is a pointer to spiritual sickness. But everyone suffers from it. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's universal, you see, as is physical sickness in the human race. I can remember being maybe 10, 11 years old, and I went to visit my grandpa in a nursing home after he had suffered for years from heart disease and then diabetes. Uh, And he was lying there. One of his legs was gone, had been amputated because of his diabetes. And he was just a lifeless shell of a person. And it was so hard to see because he had always been really energetic and cracking jokes and always smiling. And that person was gone at that point. He was, he was alive, but not alive. And what we need to remember, though, is that is simply a picture of the way that all of us are spiritually because of sin. Spiritually speaking, we are dead and lifeless and rotting away from the inside out. We all have a disease far, far worse, infinitely worse than any diabetes or cancer or heart disease could ever be. And our physical sicknesses of all stripes 
are meant to point us to a deeper reality. Every sneeze is a reminder that we need a Savior. It really is. Think of that. As you reach for the Kleenex, God is saying you need a spiritual doctor. You need a great physician who can deal with the spiritual sickness that you suffer from, of which any physical sickness is but a shadow. Luke 5, Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. Right? Notice the language here, well, sick. But then he goes on and he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see the parallel there? Who are the sick that Jesus refers to in the first part of the verse? Well, they are the sinners in the second. Physical sickness points us to a spiritual sickness, right? And beloved, we can praise God that Jesus is a great physician who dealt once and for all with the disease of sin through his death and resurrection. And for those of us who have put our trust in the Lord, a sneeze is no longer a reminder that we need a Savior. It's a reminder that we have a Savior who's dealt with the ultimate sickness of our sin once and for all. And any remaining physical sicknesses that we face are simply the death throes of a world that we no longer belong to and which we'll be taking leave of very soon. <laughs> you got to praise God every time you sneeze. <laughs> It's hard to do. <laughs> Reflection number two. God is sovereign over sickness. And turn, if you would, here to Deuteronomy chapter 7. God is sovereign. I know the children talked about what that means last time, right? Sovereign. He's in control of it. He rules over it, right? Deuteronomy 7 Verse 15, and we're kind of cutting in here, but talking about the blessings of being part of the people of God in obedience to the Lord. Verse 15 says, The Lord will remove from you all sickness, and he will not put on you any of the harmful diseases of Egypt which you have known, but he will lay them on all who hate you. Notice that terminology here. He, he can remove sickness from people, and he can put, him on, put that sickness on somebody else. He's sovereign. He's in control of those things. He can take, he can put, right? And the way that we talk often betrays a lack of appreciation for just how intimately involved God is with the world that he has made. For example, with regards to the weather, sometimes we say things like, it snowed last night. It snowed last night. What is it? Who is it? It snowed? It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the Lord caused it to snow last night. Job 37, for to the snow, he says, fall on the earth, <laughs> right? In the same way, we sometimes say things like, he caught a cold or she got the flu. I talk that way. We all do. But really, that's not accurate, is it? The Lord put this sickness on them. 
in the language of Deuteronomy 7. He controls these things. Is he not sovereign? Is there a microorganism that he's not sovereign over? That's the case. We're in trouble. He puts. He removes. And this ought to be encouraging to us because it means that if God is the one who puts and removes, then I can call out to him and ask him to remove whatever sickness I'm facing because he's able to do that. He can take it. He can remove it. He does do that. Not always, but he can and he does. But it also means something else. If God is the one who puts and removes, then that means that there is a reason behind my sickness. There's a purpose behind it. There's intelligence behind it. There's a purpose. There's a good purpose ordained by an infinitely wise God who wants what is best for me. And realizing that changes how you face an illness. He's just saying that song day by day. Heir to take as from a father's hand. <laughs> There's a purpose, a good purpose. Now, what are some of the good purposes behind our bouts of sickness? Well, one that I'm confident is often a good purpose behind our sicknesses is for the purpose of humbling us. Humbling us. And that's reflection number three. Being sick ought to humble us. Think of it. The mightiest man in the entire world can be brought to his knees by a microscopic organism that is 100 times smaller than the width of a human hair. Think of that. That's about how big a flu virus is. Alexander the Great conquered most of the known world in his 20s, and he had even been declared invincible by the Oracle of Delphi, who was a prophetess of the ancient world. But the invincible Alexander dies at the age of 32, probably from malaria or typhoid fever, both of which are caused by tiny microorganisms. <laughs> Beloved, we are weak creatures. We are frail creatures. We are globs of dust. That's all we are. But oh, how we boast and strut around with our heads held high. It's insanity. And sometimes, even as Christians, we need the wind knocked out of our sails a bit, don't we? We need a reminder of just how weak we really are. We need a reminder of just how dependent we are on the Lord for our daily health and well-being. And a good round of sickness will do that for you. Being sick can also humble us in another way in that it can force us to rely on other people, which is good for our pride. Because when you're laid up with a stomach bug and you haven't showered in five days and you smell like you haven't showered in five days, it's humbling to have someone minister to you in that condition. It is. It's humbling. It's humbling. 
and it's good for us. This leads into number four, reflection number four. And this to me is incredible. The reality of our Christian profession is tested by how we treat those who are ill. The reality of our Christian profession is tested by how we treat those who are ill. Turn to Matthew 25. Some of you are probably thinking of this already. Matthew 25. Verse 31, get a little bit of context here, Matthew 25, 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick. And you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, You did it to me. And again, I say to me, this is just incredible. Think of the scene here. Think of the context of this. Here we are at the final judgment of all mankind. This is the final judgment. When the sheep are separated from the goats, eternal destinies are hanging in the balance here. The sheep will inherit the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world, and the goats will be forced to depart into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. It doesn't get any more serious than this. But the question is, well, how do you know who is a sheep and who is a goat? What do the sheep look like? What characteristics do they have? And according to the Lord Jesus himself, one of the identifying marks of a sheep is that they are a person who visited their brothers and sisters when they were sick. Isn't that amazing? Would you have picked that as a defining characteristic of someone who was destined to inherit eternal glory? Well, I'd give eternal glory to to those people because they visited others when they were sick. Sure, it's obvious, right? No, we wouldn't do that, right? I wouldn't have. And that's probably because I need to have my mind renewed as to what my Lord really values in the lives of his people. 
He wants us to visit our brethren when they're sick. That's the big stuff. I was challenged a few days ago by the example of Charles Spurgeon in this area. I read about how he had moved to London at the age of 20 to pastor New Park Street Chapel, which would later become the famous Metropolitan Tabernacle. And less than a year after arriving in London, a severe outbreak of cholera swept through the city. And in the midst of that, Spurgeon would go out and visit the sick, suffering from cholera, often in the midst of horrific conditions. And this is what he wrote. All day and sometimes all night long, I went about from house to house and saw men and women dying. And oh, how glad they were to see my face. When many were afraid to enter their houses, lest they should catch the deadly disease, we who had no fear about such things found ourselves most gladly listened to when we spoke of Christ and of things divine. Other people are afraid to go in. We're not afraid. God's sovereign. He's in control. During that epidemic of cholera, though I had many engagements in the country, I gave them up that I might remain in London to visit the sick and the dying. What a testimony. What a testimony. And beloved, when Charles Spurgeon stands before that glorious throne, he will not hear, come, inherit the kingdom, because you were such a great preacher. Come, inherit the kingdom, because you wrote so many books. Come, inherit the kingdom, because you won so many souls for Christ. No. Come, Charles, inherit the kingdom, for I was sick, and you visited me. Reflection number five. Two more. Times of sickness should remind us that we are loved and accepted by God because of who he is and what he's done for us, not because of what we do for him. One of the subtle pitfalls of the Christian life is that we can begin to find our security in what we do for God rather than in what he's done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we can begin to find our sense of love and acceptance in doing ministry rather than in the finished work of Christ. And really, it's a subtle form of idolatry is what it is. It's ministry idolatry. But it's an idolatry that can be exposed very well by a good bout of sickness. (laughs) How so? Well, if I'm laid up with the flu for days on end and I can't do any ministry in that time and I begin to get depressed and feeling worthless because I'm not able to, quote, do anything for the Lord, then it's probably a good sign that I was beginning to find security and acceptance in my doing rather than in his done. And if you're the kind of person who tends towards that subtle pitfall, don't be surprised if the Lord sends a few microorganisms your way to expose that hard attitude. 
He loves you too much to allow you to find your security and acceptance in anything but him. And he exposes those things out of love, and he will sometimes use sickness to do it. As was said of Lazarus back there in John 11, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And I I just love that statement. He whom you love is sick. Because what that says is that right in that moment when we're sick and we're lying there like death warmed over, his love is a banner over us right there in the place of sickness. When I'm too weak to do anything for him, his grace is still reigning over me. And that's where my security and my acceptance comes from. At least it ought to. Lord, help us. Lastly, number six. Times of sickness should cause us to look forward to the new heavens and the new earth where sickness is no more. Nothing wrong with desiring for these things to be gone. It's a healthy desire. Revelation 21. Let's end with this. Revelation 21 and verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. You hear that? Every tear wiped away. Every tear. No mourning. No crying. No pain. No death. That's where we're headed. And one way that we can redeem our times of illness now is to allow them to focus our attention on what's to come. When he who sits on the throne makes all things new, and sickness and disease of every kind are nothing more than a distant memory. What Jesus said of Lazarus' illness is ultimately true of our own. Jesus said this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God. Someone might say, yeah, but what Jesus said wasn't true because Lazarus did die. Yeah, but Jesus didn't say Lazarus went and die. He said the sickness wasn't going to end in death. In other words, the story wasn't going to end there, and it didn't end there because Lazarus was raised from the dead to the glory of the Lord, and the same will be true of every child of God. We will die, yes, but only to be raised again to eternal life. And when we cross over Jordan's stormy banks, as the hymn says, we will find ourselves on the opposite shore. 
And in that hymn, it says, No chilling winds nor poisonous breath can reach that healthful shore. (laughs) Sickness, sorrow, pain, and death are felt and feared no more. Behold, I make all things new. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that that touches on these very practical, everyday types of things that we face. Lord, I do pray for those that are that are sick tonight. I know there's a lot. We just we ask that you'd strengthen them, grant them faith, grant them your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to to redeem our sicknesses, to allow them to focus our attention on eternal things on the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, help us to be those people that go forth and visit our brethren brethren when they're ill, when they're sick. Help us to be your hands and feet in that way. Thank you that our acceptance, that our standing with you is in grace and in grace alone. And that even when we're laid up, Lord, that your love is a banner over us and we can rest in that. I ask that you'd help us to do that in these days. Lord, help us the rest of this week. Help us to put you first, to seek first your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to walk with you. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a men's prayer meeting tomorrow, uh, morning and evening. Let's be dismissed.